Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Well, today we are going to be looking at two different stories, and one out of the old and one out of the new. And uh, the first story we're going to look at today is actually in the Gospel of Matthew. As we get into the 14th chapter, we find Yeshua does something pretty powerful. Uh, There are 5,000 people that need to be fed, and all they have is five loaves and two fishes. And Yeshua performs this beautiful miracle. He feeds the entire crowd with plenty left over. They were told that they took up 12 baskets, right? Well, and actually, this was so monumental when the men realized, if you actually got to go to the Gospel of John for this information, but the men realized what he had done, the power that he had displayed, they actually were going to come by force and make him king. They were waiting for the king of Israel to come. And they saw this event. This is how impactful this one miracle was upon them. Well, the story doesn't end there. He actually calls his disciples, after he's done preaching and teaching the crowds, he calls his disciples over to him and he says, you know what, I want you to go over before my face. Go over before me across the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida and wait for me there. I'll catch up with you later. At which point he returns to the people, he actually sends the people home, and he retreats and begins to pray to his father. And what's interesting, you follow this story, the very next thing that we're told is this. It's in 1425, we read the following. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Yeshua went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out. Now, when you go to the Greek on this, and you look at the Greek word that's used, this krazo that is used, they screamed. You got 12 men in a boat screaming, perhaps like little girls. Okay? Like I would be. I kid you not. You got to imagine this. You set the context. You get 12 men together. There's strength in numbers. We become manly all of a sudden. We've got 12 of us together. It's very manly. We're not easily intimidated. I want to be very clear on that. You get 12 men together, we are not going to be easily intimidated. So if someone were to come walking up to us, provided they're not holding a gun, this is not the situation. Yeshua doesn't have a sword drawn. That would be terrifying. He has no sword drawn, no shield, nothing. All he's doing is he's walking up to them. And we're told that these men are so terrified, 12 men, they're screaming in a boat. They're actually crying out. What does it say? For fear. But immediately Yeshua spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, one thing I think we can be certain of in this situation, the very last thing that the disciples ever imagined or could have conceived was this event. It's inconceivable to them that this is how they were going to run into Yeshua. Right? the very least, Yeshua would have caught up to them in another boat. Remember, this is how they traveled, doing ministry. Yeshua and them in the boat together. They would go together. Or Yeshua would be set out in a boat and he would teach. This was normal. To see this was not normal. This was abnormal. Anything but normal. This is beyond anything that the disciples ever heard of or ever read. And I want you to think about that statement. Because, remember, they grew up, they knew their ancestors. The story of their ancestors is that the mighty hand of the living God came to Egypt, took them out of Egypt, and brought them across on dry ground. He parted the sea. 
They also knew about Elijah who went over the Jordan River on dry ground. The Lord parted the sea. Elisha coming back when Elijah ascended. He came over the Jordan on dry ground. The Lord parted the sea. They remember this. They've heard these things. But the thing that they're actually witnessing with their eye, they have never heard of. They can't even conceive. They're trying to get their mind wrapped around what is going on. You know what happened? The Lord did a new thing. He did a brand new thing. I'm going to tell you something. When I go to Scripture and I see the Lord doing new things, it is terrifying. Numbers. Go back to number 16. You had the Korah rebellion. Korah and his men rebelling against Moses, ultimately rebelling against God. Moses comes to him, well, I'm going to tell you something, Korah. The Lord is going to do a new thing. And the earth is going to open up and swallow you. If you die as other men die, know this, the Lord hasn't sent me. Well, what happened? The earth opened its mouth and swallowed these men whole. And the people, how did they respond? A lot like the disciples are responding right now. They're terrified. The people ran for fear. They got out of Dodge seeing the mighty hand of God. Well, this is... This is what's going on here. This is that type of fear that the apostles are experiencing. They don't know what to make out of it other than being scared to death. As we continue, we're going to find that the apostle Peter, he's going to respond to Yeshua. Now, remember, Yeshua said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Well, Peter responds to the statement. And in verse 28, he says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. What now? That, that sounds crazy. The natural thing, if I was never to show you, you would have never conceived that this is what would come out of any one of the apostles' mouth. The natural thing is for them to see Yeshua and to say, Lord Yeshua, come into the boat and be with us. This is what he should have said. You know, Yeshua, this is how we do it. You come into the boat and we go do ministry. We ride together. This is, this is the normal response. This is not his response. His response is, command me to come to you on the water. You know, when I look at this, I want you to pay so close attention to what is unfolding here. This is the faith. Peter looked out. Yeshua's not in the boat. He's in the middle of the sea. Logic and reasoning of Peter's heart tells him, I need to go there. Wherever Yeshua is, that is where I am going. That is the heart we need to have. We need to be Peters. We need to have that heart to say, no matter what circumstance, I don't care about the laws of nature. Peter doesn't even contemplate the laws of nature, knowing normally he walks out of the boat, he goes to the bottom, he sinks, he drowns. He doesn't care. All he sees, he affixes his eyes on the Lord. And that is where he wants to be. That is powerful. What Peter is doing here is deeply profound. It's spiritual. It's representative of how each and every one of us needs to live our lives. This is how we need to live. An ultimate faith. A faith that's not confined um, to the laws of nature. A faith that's not intimidated by the circumstances. So how does Yeshua respond to Peter's request to walk on water? As we continue in verse 29. So he said, Yeshua said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Yeshua. Try to wrap your mind around this. Peter's actually walking on water. I mean, can you even imagine? Yeah, it's one thing to see Yeshua 
walking on the water. But now to have Peter get out of the boat and start walking on the water is insane. It makes me think of John 14. In John 14, 12, what does Yeshua say? He actually says, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. The works that I do. Whoever believes in him. He doesn't just say, well, if there's specific men that believe in me. He says, he who believes in me. Women, if you believe in him, we should be doing the works that he did. And this is exactly what we see with Peter. You want to talk about faith. Peter had the faith. He had faith. I want to point out the obvious here. You'll notice no other apostles got out of the boat. Nobody else got out of the boat. Nobody said, command us to come to you. I mean, you can only imagine what they were probably thinking, looking at Peter, going, what did he say? He said, he's going to go out to them. Peter, we're going to wait right here. We'll stay here. We'll see how this goes down. Nobody else got out of the boat but Peter. I want to tell you something. You want to know why Peter has turned out to this day, and it will be in the, even in the age to come, to be the most influential man that has ever lived on planet Earth? Why the Lord used him to go out and raise the dead? Why people were running just to fall into his shadow to be healed? You want to know why? Don't wonder. This is why Peter's heart was melted for Yeshua the Messiah. All he cared about was being with him. No matter what the cost, no matter where Yeshua was, it didn't matter. He wanted to go there. This is awesome. You think about this. This is exactly what we are called to. We are called to be Peter's. We're called to think about this. We're called to walk on water. I mean, when you really boil this all down and you look at what's unfolding here, we are called, get out of the boat and start walking on water. I want to take this a step further. You notice what Peter says to Yeshua in this passage, how the whole event, really what began this whole event that brought it to fruition. What did Peter say? I'll highlight it. Command me to come to you on the water. See, this is why ultimately... Peter walked on water. Yeshua commanded it. And thus, follow it, Peter walked what? He walked in the commandment of God. He was walking in the commandment of Yeshua. And here's my point. When you walk according to the commandments of the Lord, you will walk on water. You will walk according to the Spirit, the power of God, when you are walking in His commandments. Let me take you to James or Yaakov. He understood the power of what I'm telling you. This is what he says in James 1.21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Think about this statement for a second. It is so powerful for you to walk in the commandments of God, we are told it will save your soul. It doesn't get more powerful than that. That is walking on water. That is getting out of the boat. That is moving against the laws of nature. The laws of nature tell us that the sinful flesh results in death. The only thing that we have is death. But there's so much power in walking in His righteousness, 
it is able to save the soul. And notice James says, receive the implanted word. A reference to the new covenant. Jeremiah 31. Receive that implanted word. The prophecy was that I will write my Torah on their hearts. They will keep my commandments. They will do them. No longer shall man say to his neighbor, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's how powerful this really is. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man cleanse his way? This is repentance. This is about revival. This is spiritual warfare. By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's power. It's revival. It's what we need to be crying out for. Psalm 119, 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. The psalmist is saying I am afflicted. For your word has given me life. Call that power. The power of Yeshua's commandments. It gives life. It produces life. And not just that. Not only will it produce life in you, do you know, and this is, the, this is how infectious and this is how important it is that you do walk according to Yeshua's commandments. Walk like Peter walked on water. Because when you start to walk on water, it will make an effect on everyone around you. You will have an impact on people, a powerful impact. Look at what James says, Yaakov again. Chapter 5, verse 19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. No greater power. A man going out, us going out, returning our brethren back to Yeshua to walk in His commandments. It has the power to save. Just the whole concept is amazing. And I'm telling you right now, now is the time for us to get out of the boat. We have got to get out of the boat. We've got to get out of our comfort zone, out of the things that are comfortable for you. You need to get out of the flesh. You need to get out of the world. And you need to walk on water. You need to start walking in the commandments of Yeshua. Not moved by the world. And getting back to our story, Peter gets out of the boat he begins to walk to Yeshua according to the commandment of Yeshua. But then we read this in chapter 14, verse 30. When Peter saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Here's where we get into the warfare. This is where we get into the warfare component. And I want you to understand something about this story. This story is a prototype as a whole of the faith. It's representative of how we are to when we walk out the faith. Let me explain what I mean by this. When Peter, he called, he called out to Yeshua, I want to come to you, this was done in faith. He professed Yeshua, he got out of the boat, he started walking in the commandments. Does that not happen to each and every one of us? When we call upon the name of Yeshua, we accept him, we give our lives commitment, we give, we, we're committed to him, and what do we do? We get out of the boat, we start walking in his commandments. Then what happens? Well, what happens to us is exactly what happens to Peter. Then the waves of life start to hit us. Trials, tribulations, temptations rise up in a very violent and vicious manner against us. And that is exactly what's happening to Peter. Well, what happens when these waves of life, if you will, you call them, what happens when they start crashing down upon us? Does it not begin to make you start to sink? 
It affects you. Don't you. Nobody can tell me differently. Every one of us have struggled with this. I mean, let's have a moment of honesty. We've talked about this in the series already. Every single one of us struggles with particular fears. Now, all your fears may be different than everyone else's. But every single one of you have a deep-rooted fear that really messes with your walk with the Lord. And it makes you begin to start to sink into the abyss. It has an impact on you. And Peter wasn't the only one. And we're not the only ones. King David talks about this. And I kind of want to circle back and just address this fear thing because of our story and because of how important it is today. I want you to know that because you have fears, it doesn't mean you're sinning. It doesn't mean you're sinning. I want to take you to the words of David. They're so powerful. And what I love about David's writings, I mean, I'm pretty sure if I would say, what book of the Bible really ministers to you? When you need encouragement, where do you want to go? The majority of you are going to raise, I want to go to the Psalms. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That you want to go to the Psalms for encouragement, for strength. Well, what we don't realize oftentimes, the vulnerability of David that he is offering to us, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is offering this amazing comfort and brings reality out in the open. Well, look at these words that David speaks. They're so beautiful. 55 verse 1 in Psalms. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me. And in wrath they hate me. In verse 4, My heart is severely pained within me. The tears of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have overcome me. And horror has overwhelmed me. I think he's trying to tell us he's scared. I mean, do you pick up on this? You pick up, my heart is severely pained. The tears of death are come. Or fearful and trembling have come about. Horror has overwhelmed him. Call that scared to death. David is being vulnerable and he's opening up to us, showing us the fear that he is having to cope with. It's horrifying. It's crippling. It's debilitating. Again, in, in 2 Samuel, listen to what he says in 2 Samuel 22.5. When the waves of death, isn't that interesting, he utilizes the imagery of waves, the very same imagery we're looking at in our story with Peter that he's up against. We'll call them the waves of death. Surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. You know, we look at Psalm 55, we look at other David's writings, 2 Samuel 22. David is revealing, really what he's doing here is revealing the pinnacle, the height, the precipice of spiritual warfare. I mean, that's what's going on. This is the moment when we reach this, when, when we start taking, talking about the waves of death crashing over us, there's no strength left within us. You are at the precipice of spiritual warfare. It's the defining moment. That's the defining moment where we find out who you really are and what you really believe. This is the defining moment. What do we do when we are confronted with the terrors of warfare, the circumstances beyond our strength and capability, we just can't handle these things. If we just continue to the next verse here, 
We're actually told, David tells us, 2 Samuel 22, verse 7, In my distress, what does he do? I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. So what does David do when he's fearful and trembling? The waves of death are crashing upon him. He cries out to the Lord. See, that's faith. Knowing that I'm going to go to the Lord and he is going to hear me. That's faith. So David calls upon the Lord. Ask the question, does David fear? Beyond. He is wallowing in fear. Does David give in to the fear to the point where it controls him? The answer to that is no. He does not. Going back to that passage we looked at last week. And again, I'm beating home a point here to teach you how to war. How to respond to fear. And the Israelites in, in 1 Chronicles 5.20, they were helped against them. The Hagrites were delivered into their hands and all who were with them, for they cried out to the Lord in battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in Him. Over and over again, this is the mantra in Scripture. This is what we are called to do. Do you know how to cry out to the Lord? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to just drop to your knees in your prayer closet? And cry to Him. If you don't know how to do that, you are not equipped to go to war. You are not equipped to handle it because this is what has to happen. All the righteous men of God that I see in Scripture, Noah on forward, they're, go- they're leaning upon God. Their faith is entirely in God. They're up against something they can't handle on their own. It's too much. Whether it's Peter or David or whoever, they need help. And we have it. We have the help. In World War II, there was a famous general by the name of George S. Patton. And he went by a, a much more subtle and smoothing and beautiful name, Old Blood and Guts. And this general, he was driven, he was tenacious, he was considered by many historians to actually be the most successful general in U.S. history. This guy knew war. This guy knew how to win. And he spent his life in warfare. He himself fought in war. He fought in World War II. He led battalions in World, or World War I he fought in. And in World War II, he led his soldiers. I mean, this guy was surrounded. His life existed in war. It's fascinating. He makes a statement. He assesses soldiers in war. He assesses battle. I think you're going to find this very, very interesting, uh, what his assessment is. Battle is the most magnificent competition in which a human being can indulge. It brings out all the best that is best. It removes all that is base. All men are afraid in battle. This is a guy that went through, fought himself in World War I, went out in World War II, led his soldiers, and one thing he assessed that he saw among everyone no matter what rank, all men are afraid in battle. Fear is a reality. Fear is the reality. But now he's going to go on and divide the sheep from the goats. Because he's going to tell us there really are two types of soldiers. That's it. There's two types of soldiers. The coward is the one who lets his fear overcome his sense of duty. Duty is the essence of manhood. And that is the truth for us as believers in Yeshua. I'm going to tell you, in this age, all men fear in battle. The coward is going to let the fear control him 
to the point he will not fulfill his duty, his orders. He will get himself dead. The other soldier is fearful, but his eyes are on the duty. And that sense of duty to overcome, to, for us to walk in the commandments of God, to please the Master, because I want to be like Peter, I want to be with Yeshua. I need to be with Yeshua. It will overcome the fear. It will overcome the fear. Going back to our story, you're about to see what kind of man Peter really is. He's an incredible man. How does he respond to the waves of death that are crashing upon him? Well, going back to 1430, but when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Isn't that interesting? Study the Tanakh. Look at all these righteous men. Look at the kings of Israel. Look at the kings of Judah crying out when they are terrified because they're on the brink of destruction from their enemies. And what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. What does Peter do as he is sinking? He cries out to the Lord. What does this tell me? It tells me he is following protocol. War protocol. The training manual by which he was taught from a very young age. Through the Torah and the prophets, through all the stories, now I see Peter's faith in action. He's following war protocol. Well, how did this work for him? Was there success or was there failure? Well, we go to the next verse. And immediately Yeshua stretched out his hand and caught him. Immediately. Peter cries out and immediately there's a response. Yeshua, this takes me back. Remember that prayer we covered in Daniel? Where Daniel kneeled down and he cried out to God. He's asking God for forgiveness. He's asking God for help. Right? The angel Gabriel is sent to him and he says, From the beginning of your supplication, your word was heard. The beginning, the very beginning, your supplication, your word was heard. That's exactly what's going down here with Peter. He is about to die. And he does what all righteous men have done before him. He cries out to the Lord. And immediately Yeshua stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, most people want to look at this story, and I've heard the commentaries. It's, 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 it's astounding. It makes my eye twitch. Most people want to say, or not most, but there are commentaries out there in regard to the story that will tell you that it's too bad. You know, the story is it's exposing Peter as a failure. Peter failed this test. He did not succeed. And I'm wondering what story they're reading. Have you read the entire story? Do you know what's going on? Because the story is all about victory and how we gain victory. Not about failure, not about defeat. The fact that Yeshua comes to him and says, Oh, ye of little faith, let me just, just address that first. Last time I checked, Yeshua told me if I had faith as a mustard seed, I would move mountains. That's the last time I remember Yeshua talking about little faith, where he is able to move mountains. But then he follows up, why did you doubt? The statement is looked in the exact opposite way that it should be. These are words of encouragement. You might say, what are you talking about? Well, I've read the book. I've read the Tanakh. And over and over again, what does the Lord keep reminding Israel time after time again, knowing they needed to be reminded? I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Over and over again. At the end of Matthew, Yeshua says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why does he keep redundantly doing? We need to hear it. We're weak. We're in the flesh. The Lord knows this. 
looking at this totally, they're flipping this thing inside and out. You look at this story in its totality, it is a story of faith. It's a story of tribulation, yes, and testing. But it's a story of how to persevere and how to gain victory. And that is a huge component people are missing. And any question to this, let's just consider what happens next. In verse 32, And when they got into the boat, meaning Peter and Yeshua, the wind ceased, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, meaning Yeshua, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now I want to point out the obvious. Yeshua is in the middle of the sea. Peter went out to him. How do you think they got back to the boat? He walked on water. Think about this. Yeshua grabbed him by the hand, and they together, Yeshua and Peter, walked on water back to the boat. I'm going to say this. If that's failure, that's what I want. I want to be a failure. Sign me up to be a failure if walking on water, holding the hand of Yeshua, is failing. We read stories like this, you know, we're supposed to learn. We're supposed to learn from these things. We're supposed to get equipped. We're to apply the principles that we see Peter applied. No matter what story we're reading in Scripture, we start to apply these principles, but not just that. There's something that we need to take away from this story. There's a calling for each and every one of us. And the calling is to be great. We are called to be great, and we are called to do great things. Every single person in this room. If we are children of God, we are heirs of the Most High God. Actually, His offspring, His children. Yes, that is special. And yes, the expectation is, is if we believe in Him, the things that He has done, we will do also. Amen? This is the reality. How many of you actually believe that? Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe you're called to greatness and you're called to do great things, you will never do great things. You will do nothing. And and then it also begs the question, how well do you know your Messiah? How well do you know Yeshua? You know, when you walk truly, when you are walking with your whole heart, with Yeshua, walking in His commandments, we are going to walk on water. It's the moment where you walk on water. I love what Daniel says in Daniel 11.32 about this greatness. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. This is the expectation. Do you know Yeshua? Now becomes the question. Those who know Yeshua will carry out great exploits. You will do great things for the kingdom of God. It's what we're called to. I want to move on to my second story. I want to take you to Second Chronicles. And again, this is going to be a great example of how to fight war. But more specifically, I'm taking you to this passage to, to show you how uh, a proper way to approach war. And so looking at Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, we read the following. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others um, with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now, just remember, Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah, a righteous and holy king. This is a man who fears God. This is a man who seeks after God. He's, 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 he's one of the best. And going to verse 2, 
Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in uh, Hazazon, Tamar, which is En Gedi. How would you like to wake up one day and have your friends come and tell you, just, just so you know, there's a massive multitude coming and they're coming to kill you. They're coming to destroy you. There's just some things you wish people wouldn't say to you. Right? I mean, there's just some things we just don't want to hear. But here's this issue. A massive multitude is coming after Jehoshaphat and they're coming for blood. They're coming to destroy him. Well, as we get into verse 3, we read the following. And Jehoshaphat feared. Isn't that interesting? Righteous man after righteous man after righteous man. We're seeing they're dealing with fear. He feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together and asked help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So Jehoshaphat, in in his response to the news, in response to the fear that overcame him, these waves of death that just literally overcame his heart, what does he do? He does what all righteous men are called to do. He humbles himself. Before the mighty hand of God, he prays to the Lord. He cries out to the living God. And I didn't put the prayer up here, but he starts to go through the prayer, reminding God of who he is. And it's one of the most powerful ways you can pray to remind the Lord of his beautiful attributes, of his loving kindness, and as Jehoshaphat did, of his power. Remind him of his power. Well, as he gets to the end of the prayer, there's something he mentions. And this is something that would be good to add to your prayers when you're in a predicament. And this is what he says in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude. Do you just hear what he said? He's coming to the realization, we don't have the power to win this war. There's not a person in here that has the power to win the war apart from Yeshua. The demonic hosts of wickedness are too powerful. Your flesh, in and of itself, the fallen nature of man, is too powerful. You need Yeshua. This is the only way. So we have no power at all against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Well, I ask you, how many of you can relate to this? Where you feel you don't have the strength to deal with a predicament, But on top of that, you don't know what to do. You're honestly, you think you're a smart person until you really get into a pickle. You find out, I don't know what to do. This is war. Now's the time to go to your prayer closet. Now's the time to drop to your knees. Now's the time to fast. And now's the time to get your brothers and sisters around you to start to pray for you. To come together. This is how Jehoshaphat's dealing with this, right? So... Jehoshaphat, he goes through this prayer. Now, what happens when Jehoshaphat prays? The Lord responds. He responds through the prophet Yahaziel. And listen to what the Lord says. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Kind of sounds exactly what Yeshua told Peter. It kind of sounds like the story that we get over and over and over again. I will be with you always, lo, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's the same stuff. The Lord doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And so he says, listen, all you Judah and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, you King Jehoshaphat, thus the Lord, do not be dismayed um, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's what, remember last week we talked about, you don't want to fight battles that are not yours. What you want to fight is battles that are God's. Fight for his name, for his glory, right? We fight against sin. We fight against the world and the flesh. We are fighting the Lord's battles to bring glory to Yeshua. Yeshua did not come to pay the price in vain. These are our battles to fight. when We fight against the demonic host of wickedness. Well, going ahead, verse 17, we read, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verse 19. Then the Levites of the children of uh, the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So we're going to learn something about worship today. Lifting up our voices loud and high. We do not serve a dead God. We do not serve gods of stone and wood. When we come into this building, come prepared to worship with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind, with loud voices. Get excited. Yeshua is risen from the dead. You have hope. We don't want to be a church where people come in and had no idea where we look like we serve a dead God. And you can say, you know, some people that just... It's for whatever reason, just sit there, oh, you know, yep, the Lord broke every chain, um, something like that. And uh, all that reminds me, I have a grocery list put together, and you start looking around for your phone. I'm gonna t- that's not worship. That is not worship. That is not someone who understands the power and the holiness of God. God is to be revered in the assembly of the saints. When we come in here, there's to be fear and trembling of the holiness of our God, yet we are to rejoice with joy because we have the victory. The victory is ours. We have to start looking and acting like we are men of victory. Men and women of victory. Going on to verse 20, we're going to learn some more. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Yehuda, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Man, faith. If we believe in Yeshua, we put our faith and trust in Him, we will be established. We will not be moved. That's powerful. Not just that. Believe in His prophets. That's interesting. Believe in God, you'll be established. It doesn't stop. And believe in His prophets. Do you know what's really being said here? Exactly what we read all over Scripture. It's the structure of the faith. Right? And the dragon was enraged with the woman, went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua Mashiach. That's exactly what's being said here. The first thing says, believe in your God and then also believe in the prophets. What are the prophets? The prophets spoke 
by the word of the Lord. It is the word of God. I want to remind you of something, you know, in Peter, he says, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They speak the words of God. So this reference to believe the prophets, it said, believe the Lord's word. And let me remind you, the Torah is also the prophets. Moses was a prophet. He was a prophet. The commandments of the Lord. Believe the word of the Lord. We're told that the word of the Lord is proven. It is tried. It is steadfast. It is sure. If the Lord has spoken it, you can expect it to happen. In Isaiah 55, the word that goes out from the Lord will not return to him void. It will accomplish the thing that he sent it for. This is the confidence. This is the hope that we have. Now, as we continue, we're going to actually get to the part of why I even took you to this passage. We're going to see an aspect of warfare that is critical for us to implement in our daily lives, something that we haven't covered yet, but is vital, very powerful weapon. In verse 21, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. That is crazy. So let me get this straight. You put the singers in front of the army, the ones equipped to destroy. What does this tell you about worship? What does this tell you about the power of worship? It has the ability to break down strongholds. When you come into worship, and this is, this is something I have experienced, and it's something I have witnessed, when you give yourself to worshiping the King of glory, and you just lose yourself, you're not worried about what you got going on the week, you're not rumbling with all these various thoughts in your head, I got to do this, I got to do that, you're completely enraptured with the glory of Yeshua. And you lose yourself in worship. And when you open your mouth to declare the praise of God, it will destroy demonic strongholds against you. The bondages, the afflictions, the addictions, these things you are dealing with will start to come down. Do you remember Jericho? Do you remember the story of Jericho? They went around and what were they told? They were told on the seventh day, blow the shofar and shout. Shout, open your mouth. It was shouting to the Lord, singing His praise, proclaiming who He is. And the walls of Jericho fell down. That is what needs to start happening in this building. We want the Spirit of God to move. It's time to lift up our voices. I love what Psalm 100 is. It's amazing. As we were in prayer this morning, I opened up Psalm 100. I'm going to quote it. And Marva ends up quoting it first from her heart. She just comes out. This is the Spirit of God's moving all over the place, bouncing off the walls in this place. It's awesome. But here's what it says. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. That's a command. The Lord is telling to do us to do this. Why? Because there's power. There is power in proclaiming the praises of our God. It will rip down the demonic strongholds. This is what we need. Goes on, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. 
why did Jehoshaphat put the singers first? Well, we're just told in Psalm 100, come in his presence before singing. If the battle is the Lord, I want the Lord to show up. If we're here, what are you here for? Are you here to be intellectually stimulated? Are you here to meet with Yeshua? You need to decide that. As for me and my house, the reason I come here and I do what I do is because I want to press in. I want to experience the Lord. I don't want to read about Him only. We need to have that experience, the power of the Holy Spirit moving in this place. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise, Be thankful to Him and bless His name. When you're getting afflicted, when the waves of death are crashing down, I'm going to offer some advice. Start declaring with your mouth. Open your mouth and declare the praises of God and see what happens. I love, this is a go-to for me. If I'm driving around my car and things are happening, I'm going to open my mouth and declare the praises of my God. Faith in my God, that He is able to take care of it, that He's able to take care of me. He's able to take care of your families. This is where the men, men, you need to rise up and do this for your families. This is what we need to do. We need to proclaim the praises of the living God. I want to close by bringing all of this full circle. And... um, well, let's read. I suppose that we should finish the story I started. <laughs> we are really discombobulated today. So I just want to show you how it works. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Yehuda, and they were defeated. This is Scripture. Do you believe Scripture? Do you believe it's true? Is not the word of the Lord proven? Right? Put the praise, put the praise first, put the singers first, and watch what happens. Watch the enemies fall. All right, moving to Ephesians. I want to I want to bring all of what we talked about, I want to bring it to the finest point. I just bring it all full circle and bring it to the finest point. When Paul in Ephesians six, he starts talking about all these things that we're to put on. We're to gird our waist with truth. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and taking the shield of faith, which which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. In Paul's mind, this is what it takes to win war. This is what it takes to fight the battle. All these things. I want to point out the obvious for a second. Every single one of these things is talking about Yeshua. Every single one of them. Let's just go through this. The belt of truth, who is the truth? Yeshua in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What about righteousness? What about righteousness? What does Paul say? How does Paul utilize the term righteousness? Read Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God, meaning Yeshua, has been revealed, being witnessed by the Torah and the prophets. That's what it is. This is Yeshua. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Have you read Romans 10? The other time that he utilizes this actual quote of gospel of peace is explicitly in the context of the resurrection of Yeshua. Going out, proclaiming the gospel of Yeshua. 
The gospel of peace is the gospel of Yeshua. This is all about Yeshua. You look at the shield of faith. Faith in what? (laughs) Faith in Yeshua, right? You look at salvation. Well, my goodness, what does the name Yeshua mean? It means salvation. There is no, read Acts 4, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Call that salvation. It's just, what is Paul telling us? The Word of God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1, 14. Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Essentially, what is he saying in Romans 13, 14? Put on the Lord Yeshua. You want to go to war? You want to win? You're going to have to put on the Lord Yeshua. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I want to close today uh, in a unique way. It's going to be a little bit, since we started off totally different, we might as well end differently. Um, there's a video that my wife showed me probably a couple of years ago, and I've watched it with Craig, and um, it has to do with spiritual warfare. Now, when my wife first showed me this video, it's, it's a skit. And for me, I've got to be honest with you, I'm not into that stuff. I'm not, I was never into theater. I'm not really into skits. And I'm like, okay, I'll appease my wife or whatever. I'll watch this, you know. And I'm watching the first couple, uh, whatever, 10, 50 seconds. I'm like, oh, my goodness, when's this going to get over, you know, that type of thing. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to watch this video. It's all about spiritual warfare. Pay close attention because there is a story unfolding. Hence the whole point of doing the skit. There's a story unfolding. And when you come across something that is anointed, and you're going to experience this today, the video is anointed. Craig can attest to it. There's an anointing on this video. But I want to show you this because it shows the reality of what the demons are doing. Though they're unseen, all these different effects that the demons are having upon our lives that we don't see. And then it gets into the end. It shows you the power of Yeshua. You need to experience this. You need to experience what this video is about. Go ahead and roll the video.
expression of the power of Yeshua. 
Amen. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. I'm going to let the, the band do their thing at the end here. If you need prayer, I want you to come forward. I'm going to have Mike Baker come up here. I need Bruce and Patrice on this side, if we can locate them. I also would like uh, Shelly, Linda, and Marva to come up. And uh, if there's women that have special needs and uh, private needs, I want them to be up here praying uh, for you. If you want to pray, you need to get out of your seat. Feel free just to go to the sides and kneel down. And we need to start, we need to start uh, fostering an atmosphere of worship, of godly fear where we're crying out to Yeshua. Because that's where the bondages are going to be broken. That's, that's where these things start to happen in such a mighty way. And I've been a part of it. And we got, we're not there. We're not there, but we need to get there. So if you have a need, you have prayer, step out. If you just want to pray to the Lord, get out and just kneel down. Wherever you can find a place, kneel down. And we're just going to worship the Lord. Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. Today, we will go to war. We will not fear. We will not faint. We will not give in to the flesh. And we will not give in to our enemies. Today we will stand and we will fight. And we will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.